This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Okay, welcome back to Sportsbook. Last week, of course, we had our friend of the program, Alex Reclean, on, fantasy writer who has written for Yahoo, but we were mostly talking about NBA and the analytics revolution. Let's stick with fantasy, but let's transition to football because it's been a huge week of NFL action. We have Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and then just last night as we record this, Odell Beckham Jr. switching teams, big, big trade action. We want to bring on Matt Harmon. He is an NFL and fantasy writer at Yahoo Sports. Hey, Matt. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I mean, this is an awesome time to be talking. Like, it's crazy. (laughs) As much as I love football and watching the games this season, I'm almost like more enthralled and more glued to uh, my Twitter feed right now in in this time of the year than even I am when the games are going on. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I want to get into the different trades, but I'm glad you said that because I often make the point, I mean, this is a a sports business podcast and we talk about all the big leagues and yet NFL, more than any other league, obviously, just has a year-round news cycle. I mean, right now we couldn't be more in the, um, I guess, sort of the off-season, you know, sort of, you would think the quiet time. Uh, It's March and yet NFL news, I'm with you, dominating my Twitter feed. It's just kind of crazy. There's no rest when you cover the NFL. And they're getting they're getting better at this too. For, for one for one angle, like I used to work at the NFL, I was at the NFL Network for three seasons before I came to Yahoo in the summer. And I mean, yeah, I could tell you for sure, the focus is definitely year round turn events into news cycles, um, even the most pointless things. Like when they release the schedule in the summer, that becomes like an hour long, uh, two hour, three hour long show on the NFL network. Um, and the players honestly are getting better about this too. I mean, we could talk about some of the guys that have just recently moved, but you know, Antonio Brown basically turning his, where's he going to go next into uh, an entire show uh, like <laughs> that we followed for months, Le'Veon Bell, like releasing an album at the t- same time that he <laughs> releases where he's going to go next. I mean, if you want to talk about the difference between the two leagues, I think the NBA is s- still miles and miles and miles ahead of, marketing their players and having their players market themselves and right. really building into the personal brand and the dramatics of the league. But I've, I've, I've seen this off season, the players in the NFL taking that power into their own hands more. And, and it's pretty cool to see in my opinion. Yeah. And that's totally true. It's another topic we talk about all the time, how the NFL gets so much praise, uh, I guess, mostly deserved for how it encourages, fosters the players, social media brands, uh, you know, and then commissioner Adam Silver gets so much love. And yet all that being said, uh, you know, I have, to just say personally, even though I grew up watching NBA so often, maybe it was because I was living at home in Boston, we'd go to Celtics games. But yet now, you know, as a 30-year-old, it's like, I really don't often want to watch a regular season NBA game. I just don't. Um, And NFL is just so much more exciting to me and probably because of the fewer games during the season. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why it's the, that's why it's the best game to me is because every game matters. You know, if you start out two and five, you, you really might be in trouble. And, you know, it's an event too. I mean, you can tune in and out of basketball for like a week at a time and days in the week at a time, but with the NFL, everything is kind of built around this one Sunday experience. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's structurally that are just a huge advantage. But again, I also might be biased considering it's not only the sport that I cover, but it's easily the one that uh, I care the most about. Right, right. Well, uh, let's start with sort of uh, the biggest domino to fall here, OBJ. Uh, that kind of shook, shook up everything last night night. And and now, you know, we record this on Wednesday. Everyone, I think, is talking about, gosh, how good could Cleveland be? I mean, the the lineup on offense is just kind of wild. You talk about Baker, OBJ, uh, and then Jarvis Landry, and then Chubb. And then I don't know if he's going to be able to play. I know he's suspended indefinitely, but let's remember that the Browns also have 
um, Kareem Hunt, which, of course, was controversial. But talk to me a little bit about the, the Odell trade, um, how surprising that was. And then obviously, you know, there's the Cleveland side of it. But then for the Giants, like, do they look stupid or is there some kind of wisdom I'm missing there? Here's the thing with the Beckham trade, right? Like for months now, even going back into last year, there's constantly been rumblings about Odell Beckham and whether they're going to trade him. And Dave Gettleman, the general manager of the New York Giants, came out and said, you know, not long ago, we didn't sign him to trade him. Well, sure enough, they they have traded him. And this just usually goes to show when there's smoke like that, there's usually fire, you know, in the NFL with the news cycle, if it's continually being put out there by people that are connected that, Hey, there have been trade rumblings around there that, that something's maybe it may not end up happening, but there are definitely discussions being had. And, you know, we've learned after this, we've seen the after reports that m- most of it was the giants reaching out, trying to actively get rid of Beckham, which that's the big difference between the Antonio Brown and the Odell Beckham situation. Right. Brown was actively really going out of his way to make it known that he wanted out. We didn't see that out of Beckham, whether it was happening privately or not, I can't speak to, but he was not out there publicly asking for a trade or anything like that. And I think he even told NFL Network's Kimberly Jones, just his reaction was, wow, he was definitely not expecting this, but for the Browns, I mean, I think this is a home run trade. Um, obviously, from a production standpoint, Beckham has been great. He's number two in touchdowns per game and number three in yards per game at the wide receiver position since he got into the NFL. But I actually think there's still meat on the bone. Uh, I do a series called Reception Perception, which is where I go and chart every route that a receiver runs over a sample of games uh, during a particular season and determine how often they run each individual route, what type of coverages are most successful against uh, and what type of routes they get open the best on. So really dive beyond just what happens from a production standpoint or when the ball gets thrown their way. And when you look at the numbers for Odell Beckham, since he came into the NFL, he's never in any season that I've charted finished below the 98th percentile success rate versus press coverage. I mean, he's one of the best route runners and separators in the game. And I think the Browns are obviously getting a true difference maker. One of the few coverage dictating wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, you can't really overstate this addition. And as you mentioned it, he comes into an offense that we were already pretty excited about, but right. Baker Mayfield, obviously great. you know, if you paint this picture, just without putting names to the faces, the, the, the Browns now have a second year quarterback that we're all universally excited about a second year running back coming off a rookie season where he showed flashes of dynamism, a progressive young off a progressive offensive mind who also has another guy in in the building in Todd Munkin, who came from the Buccaneers who finished number two in net yards per attempt, despite some shaky quarterback play in their passing game. And of course they have one of the biggest game breakers, the wide receiver positions. I could be talking to you about the 2018 Chiefs, or I could be talking (laughs) to you about the 2019 Cleveland Browns. That's how good this offense stacks up talent wise right now. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. And then obviously having just watched the Browns on uh, hard knocks, you know, before last season started. Um, and I think they won over a lot of people who were not Browns fans. Uh, so everything is kind of happening for them at the right time in terms of becoming a team that everyone has to watch. I saw a tweet that said that in terms of Super Bowl odds, suddenly the Browns uh, move up to the fifth best odds, which is wild. Just wild. Which is wild considering where they came from in that hard knocks season, which is great to bring up because it shows you just how fast things have changed. Oh, yeah. Watching, watching that season of hard knocks, it it was unbelievable how I thought that was the best like look behind the curtain that we got in terms of like organizational dysfunction, um, constant, you know, 
bickering back and forth between Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. Just yeah. you could really see what a mess this team was under Hugh Jackson. And then now to see where they are at this point with all this optimism, you know, and credit goes back to, you know, talk about analytics revolution up top with the NBA credit goes back to Sashi Brown for really building a team that was stocked with resources. And then you can make an argument that maybe Sashi Brown was not the guy to execute on those resources. And clearly the Cleveland Browns did not think so, but John Dorsey has come in, taken that bevy of resources and built really an unbelievable roster considering where they were, you know, not just two years ago. Right. Um, I mentioned the Giants part of it. Let's let's dive into that. I'm curious your take, especially because now maybe I'm a little biased. I'm a Patriots fan, uh, I should say, and I say <laughs> it on the podcast every week. But, um, you know, I, I don't have that high an opinion of, of Eli Manning. And the more seasons that go on where Eli is the guy there, I just wonder. It, it seems wild to me when they keep, you know, obviously last year was it was a little bit of a controversy. Some people thought uh, should have taken a quarterback when instead they took Saquon. By the way, when I look at the Giants now for this coming season, I sort of a little bit, I'm like, gosh, poor poor Saquon uh, with what he's left with. But how long are the, are the Giants going to have Eli? I mean, they're just going to stick with him as the starting quarterback till like 2020? This, this is a mess. I, I don't really think there's any way to sugarcoat it for Giants fans. And uh, I, I have been... Uh, watching like a hawk the Giants Twitter feed since the new league year officially turned over and they could announce announce the trades uh, officially on their Twitter feed and the fans I think I <laughs> think I think they know it's a mess based on the replies I've been reading when they finally uh, announced the trade without they, they put out there we've acquired these two players from the Browns for uh, you know and some draft picks but they did not mention who they sent back uh, which I thought was <laughs> interesting tactics but the fans are upset and I think rightfully so this is a, this is a mess they, they can say that they have a plan but I'm struggling to see it because unless Odell Beckham is just so unbearable as a human being and and Maybe he is. I don't know. I've met him before and had a pretty pleasant experience overall with him, but I can't speak to what he's like inside the building. I know his teammates like him, whatever. I, I know the New York media is, you know, already always ready to carry the water for the Giants. So I don't know how much I trust into what we're going to read, you know, in the spin after this of why this trade went down. But it's tough to square their moves prior to this trade with what happened by sending Beckham away because look that as you mentioned they bring back their aging quarterback for another go around to me Eli Manning has been at or below replacement level for about three or four years right. now um, and and I don't understand why it seems like every move that the Giants made make right now is more about keeping the polish clean on Eli's future statue outside the stadium beyond winning games. And it is, it's very confusing. I mean, I know that fans will fans and, and some supporters will say, look at the offensive line last year. And that's totally fair, but there's a lot of offensive line problems in the NFL right now. Many teams are dealing with that, but what they have is a quarterback who is not so past his prime that they can evade pressure that he's not just a sitting duck. Eli at this point, if, if he was to be a successful starting quarterback, he'd have to have everything around him be perfect. But there again comes to the problem. Why are you taking away one of the biggest difference makers in the NFL. Um, I, I don't think very highly of general manager, Dave Gettleman. I don't think he, I think he has an eye for talent and can identify good football players, but I don't think he has any real sense of how to build and construct a roster. And I think that was very apparent in Carolina and what eventually drove him out of his first general manager job. I, I think this is a total mess. The moves don't square well together. And I have a hard time seeing things work out for, for Saquon Barkley. And you, you, you mentioned poor, poor Barkley. And I, I agree, man. I mean, the, the tough part here is as talented as a running back, he is, we've seen, especially when you're investing for fantasy football, 
We've seen talented running backs like Todd Gurley back in 2016, David Johnson, just last year, get stuck in the mud of really bad offenses and, you know, really struggled despite we all agree they're very good back. So it's a position that's very dependent on the situation around him and the situation in New York is crumbling. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you brought up New York media. And then obviously it's great to go to a team where he has guys, you know, that he knows and likes. Uh, you know, uh, Beckham worked out with uh, Baker and also with Jarvis over the summer. And I was finding that tweet on the official Browns account and I retweeted last night like, oh, who knows, you know, if they if they talked about, boy, wouldn't this be great when they hung out over the summer. And then, of course, uh, Beckham and, and Jarvis have known each other since uh, for many years and, and played together. But all that said, whenever a player leaves, uh, a New York team or a big media market team to go somewhere else. So remember when Cano went to Seattle. Um, I always have on my sort of uh, endorsement kind of branding hat, and I just think that even when the team sucks, there's a big draw for being in New York City. Um, you know, kind of the bright lights, so to speak. New York, I guess, or L.A. And, you know, there's a related conversation happening in the NBA. Uh, just yesterday with people talking about the Knicks, you know, Bill Simmons put something out there about uh, James Dolan trying to sell the team or he cited a source and then James Dolan went on ESPN radio and said that's not true and he's trying to make it so that we don't get free agents and, and Dolan tried to say free agents want to come to the Knicks right now um, and then a lot of people were laughing at that saying like uh, the team is so bad and the team is so poorly managed no one wants to go to the Knicks and I'm sure that's true but my my retort I was thinking was like well even though the Knicks suck like it's still New York and I just think that yeah. pro athletes like being in New York City, separate from just their sport, there's something larger there where they're in the bright lights. Uh, do you think there's something to that? And then, you know, is that kind of a tiny little glimmer of, of a negative for, for Beckham that now he's done in New York, he has to go to Cleveland? Well, I think he, he might think that. Um, let me tell you, though, I actually think this might be probably the best thing that could happen to him is to get out of New York. Um, and I actually, again, I referenced this. I, I met him last summer, uh, the summer of 2018, um, and spent an afternoon talked with him a little bit here and there throughout it. And one thing he said during the course of the conversation that I don't actually don't think I've ever mentioned this before, but I, I, I thought of it yesterday as, as the trade went down. He actually called, you know, the catch. You know, we all remember his rookie year against the Dallas Cowboys Sunday Night Football, that incredible one-handed catch. He was talking about that moment and actually said that it's like the best and worst thing that ever happened to him all at once. And <laughs> people don't really understand that because obviously on the case of the best, it was what launched him, I think, to national attention. And the fact that he's in New York in this major media market only made it more of a groundswell, you know, that really boosted him beyond beyond. Like he's one of the most famous NFL players. Like if I could go around to a room of kids and be like, Hey, do you guys know who, you know, Baker Mayfield is? They probably, yeah. none of them would be able to say, right. but if I showed them a picture of Odell Beckham, the hair and all that, they might actually recognize him. That's, kind of the level of fame that he has gotten to. And that's tough for an NFL football player. But at the same time, I think launching him into that spotlight is something that a lot of these guys, especially when they're as young as he was at that time, they're not really prepared for. And I don't think we on the outside give enough credence to just how difficult that can be. Everything you do is scrutinized. Totally. You know, every you're constantly in the spotlight for every little thing on your, um, that you do on the sideline is constantly reported on, you know, everything that Odell Beckham does is news. And I actually wonder, I think he'll take much of the notoriety with him because he's already been established in that way. But I wonder if being out of a media market like New York, that is as rabid as it is, as just prolific as it is, that actually might not be the best thing that could happen to him at this point in his career, where he's still in his prime. He goes to a great 
uh, ascending offense that we all hope we get out of Cleveland, but we also might not get as many just wild stories that we're, we're all kind of like, why, why are we, why are we covering this again? I think that might actually happen with this move out of New York. I like that take, man. I like that take a lot. And then similarly, not just with New York guys, but any guys who have one incredible breakout season or even just one moment within a season, sometimes it kind of hurts them because they just always get compared to that. Remember when, you know, Jamal Charles had one incredibly here with the chiefs. And then, I mean, I know you're a fantasy guy. I remember the next two years, people in my fantasy league kept wanting to pick him really high. And it was like, it never was quite the same. Yeah, yeah. Another player that I have a, a relationship with, Alan Robinson, was the receiver that used to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He plays for the Chicago Bears now. Um, he was actually one of, I mentioned reception perception earlier. He was like one of the early biggest hits of that season. The year before uh, to the 2015 season where he went out to lead the NFL with 14 touchdowns. Uh, I'll pat myself on the back here a little bit. You'll have to see me. But I wrote an article for my website before I would work for the NFL uh, that he was on the precipice of the ma- of a massive breakout based on the numbers that that series showed. And, you know, again, sure enough, he goes out and leads the NFL in touchdowns. I remember interviewing him after that year and asked him just about what has changed with, you know, how has your life changed after the season? And he specifically mentioned fantasy football as something that he had a great appreciation for because it has raised his national profile. Oh, that's People, interesting. You know, da- especially as a player down there in Jacksonville, you know, he, he wouldn't necessarily be recognized, but because people would know him from his, their fantasy team, they're like, Oh, Alan Robinson, I know you, then, you know, they give him love and all that stuff. Then of course I talked to him the year after, after <laughs> 2000, after 2016, we didn't have such a good season. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Fantasy football, kind of a bummer in this, this way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does very much depend. Like sometimes you reach that high, high, you're not, you're, you're, you're ready to live it when it's a great time. But then when things go differently, it can be kind of a, a little bit of a change there. Yeah. And it's funny to hear that he ever was saying, Oh, rah, rah fantasy, because one of my favorite things, whenever we get an NFL, either current or former player in here is to ask them about fantasy and consistently, usually they, even if they're not totally negative on it, they at least say, well, it's annoying when you see fans yeah. tweeting, either complaining about my performance or complaining about an injury. That's especially bad. And of course that's yeah. a little taboo on Twitter is when someone gets injured and you say, oh, there goes my fantasy year. And it's like, really, that's what you're worried about. Uh, Gronk was in here. You know, I, I interviewed Gronk a year and a half ago. Uh, we were talking mostly about tech as he was endorsing some you know, stupid app, but I asked him about fantasy and he said, you know, you should, it should be on the fantasy player to figure out how to manage your team. That's not on me. Like, don't blame me. I don't care about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As as a person who talks about fantasy football professionally, I could not say stronger. Please do not (laughs) at players (laughs) when you about your fantasy team. They don't care. I don't care. No one cares. Keep it to yourself. Like, do not, these guys are real human beings. Like leave, leave them alone. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is definitely true when things are going well. And a guy like Al Robinson, again, just one real, really one season in the spotlight as a fantasy contributor. It was a great, great run up there at first, but that year afterwards, yeah, that's usually <laughs> when things start to be like, well, I, I don't know that I've, uh, I've at least had this one bad experience. And that, that's probably just cloudy judgment. Right. Or as a Pats fan, uh, I remember Jonas Gray, a- another name that had like oh, yeah. an incredible five game run. And then he was on the cover of SI and then he was never good again. Um, yep. let, let me actually ask you about the Patriots, you know, because 
not only because it, it's my home team, but I have the excuse of, you know, they are the current Super Bowl champs. So fair to ask about their moves. Uh, not really a team that makes big moves at a time like this. I mean, they did re-sign Jason McCourty, and I saw some people kind of sniping, laughing about that. Um, and then, you know, they did bring on uh, Michael Bennett, and that's very interesting because I saw some people saying, gosh, might Martellus Bennett, uh, who we should mention, friend of Yahoo, uh, has a show that he does in partnership with us at Yahoo, but might he come back and play? And then you'd have a lot of sets of brothers on the Pats, which is kind of cool. But in, in general, in terms of these big moves you see teams making right now, the Pats kind of a, a team that, that doesn't make such big moves right now. There's that strategy of kind of wait and see and a little more quiet. I have a, a sneaking suspicion that one Bennett is going to be enough for the Patriots, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if they, if they make that other move there with Martellus. But the Michael Bennett tr- uh, deal and trade with the Philadelphia Eagles, I think is it really gets to the heart of what makes the Patriots so good at this. And you could yeah. say that they're, you know, Bill Belichick is a genius. And, and I, I mean, obviously he's, I think he's the best NFL coach of all time. I think it's hard to dispute that. Um, but it really is just doing what makes sense. And it comes back to the move that they did not make this off season, which was they did not franchise tag, nor did they resign defensive end Trey flowers. who yeah. ended up being one of the best edge defenders on the market after guys like Frank Clark and Jadavian Clowney were removed from the equation by the franchise tag by other teams. So Trey Flowers goes off, right? He signs with the Detroit Lions for big money. Um, The Patriots will almost certainly not make free agent moves uh, to the point where they will match that, which means they'll get a third round compensatory pick for Trey Flowers leaving. And the reason, and the, but though they do find a replacement for him in Michael Bennett, who, by the way, plays very similarly to Trey Flowers. You know, they're both defensive mm. ends, but they can move inside. They're not necessarily speed rushers, but they use power, et cetera. Again, can flip into defensive tackle. So actually, Trey Flowers was a guy that people compared his game to, to Michael Bennett. Anyways, Bennett is older, but he actually had more sacks and more pressures last year then Trey flowers. But the brilliance in all of it is that this does not affect their compensatory value because mm. it is a veteran trade. So they get that third round pick. They also replace Trey flowers with a cheaper option this year that will probably play. If not similarly, at least close to the level of what flowers would have given them. That is the beauty of the Patriots. That's why they sit out this portion. You know, fans are constantly wanting your team to make big moves, but <laughs> Here we have the Patriots showing that. I mean, Bill Belichick is literally there. There are photos of him across my Twitter timeline of him like shirtless getting a tan, which I don't know that I necessarily needed to see that, but that just goes to show that's what he's doing right now is all these other teams are throwing uh, funny money around at these big names. Yeah, and they know how to take a veteran guy who maybe some people think that uh, he isn't so good anymore, and they will get big use out of him. I mean, meanwhile, he was very good in Philly for them, so I was surprised that they seemed to let him go for peanuts. Um, They got like a third-round pick or something. Uh, let's bring it full circle back to the trade, sort of the topic of the day. We started by talking about, you know, the Giants, a team that uh, it's hard to kind of see the strategy there right now, and it's hard to to see the next few years and, and what their outlook is and what they see down the road and why this made sense for them. Similarly, a team that certainly was questioned in the last year, uh, the Raiders. And so, A.B., going to the Raiders, uh, I just want to ask your take on kind of what John Gruden is thinking over there. Uh, I mean, Raiders fans obviously are excited about A.B., but you look at last season with the Raiders and the decisions there, and then to me, like, if you talk about the business side, just signing a 10-year contract, I feel like after his first year back, if you're Gruden, God, he's got to be like thinking, oh, my God, can I do another nine years of this? Um, tell me well, about, about how good you think the Raiders will be. I don't think that Gruden cares very much because <laughs> the beauty of these coaching contracts is that they're all guaranteed. So 
he's getting that hundred million dollars <laughs> over the ten years. It does not matter if after three years he they fire him, whatever. And I mean, I would take the under on any bet you wanted right. to give me about the ten years of Gruden making it through that contract. Yeah, absolutely. I obviously do not. Yeah, I do not think he's seeing that. So I don't think that John Gruden minds it too much because he's going to get paid out that money. The Raiders fans might be a little bit more concerned, but obviously adding a player like Antonio Brown is great. I I can't spew any holes in that because, of course, for a third and fifth round pick, I mean, that's a steal. Even turning around and boosting his guaranteed money from zero to 30 million, that's a great deal. Again, for one of the, much like I said about Odell Beckham, I would put Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham as the first and second best receivers in the league, especially when it comes to separation, route running, being able to get open. I mean, Brown has been unparalleled at that over the last five years, really. And I think he brings a true elite difference making presence to this offense that was absolutely bereft of playmakers by the time yeah. we got to week 17. I mean, they're throwing out, you know, Jordy Nelson on his last legs, Marcel Aitman's out there. I mean, just, you know, total Jags at this point. And <laughs> Brown comes in, makes a big difference. They also sign Tyrell Williams from the LA chargers inside the division who is a big deep threat. He's a guy that can go up and get the ball in the air. Um, he can win after the catch. I think he actually is pretty similar to Martavis Bryant, a receiver that Brown mm-hmm. thrived alongside of just a few years ago. So there's there's a lot of intrigue there, I think, for the Raiders. They also get uh, one of the Patriots' former players, who, of course, will leave New England and not perform with the Sanders, because that's just the way it goes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Trent Brown, they bring in him as a potential left or right tackle. So it's, there's no question that the Raiders are better right now for the moves they've made this offseason. The question is just, what is the plan? What is the direction, as you mentioned? Um, I think that really Gruden saw this as a total tear-down job. I don't think you can argue that at this point, that it was pretty much a, hey, I'm, these are all not my guys. I'm going to go out and get mm. my guys, the players that I want, and then we build from there, even if we have to take it on the chin for a year, potentially two. Um, I have 10 years of this contract. You know, If I want to make this work, I can make this work. I think there has to be some sort of long-term assurances that Gruden is not going to get canned after two years or something like that if they lose. And he's been able to allow, he's been allowed to build the team in his vision alongside now former NFL network analyst, Mike Mayock, um, who I do think, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like there, I've read a couple of reports that he's kind of supposed to be the adult in the room. Mm. Uh, we've heard that phrase before uh, the adult in the room. Uh, that's going to kind of rein Gruden in and, you know, make sure some of the crazy tendencies uh, are not necessarily there. Some of the wild personnel decisions. Um, maybe that's a tandem that works. Uh, but again, just the direction of this team, I don't see the Raiders as being proactive right now. I see them being very reactive to the market and, you know, that's fine to a certain extent. Again, they're getting better, but I do still wonder what is the overall plan for this team. Is Derek Carr the long-term quarterback? Where will they be, you know, three years from now when they are actually in Vegas? Yeah, and the Khalil Mack move is just hard to watch after how good he was last year. <laughs> no, you'll ne- they'll never be able to live that down. Right. I mean, that was a... That was literally how Gruden that- started his tenure there. I mean, uh... You can't really... You can't, again, you can't really come back from that. I think... <laughs> You know, you can view the Amari Cooper trade through the lens of the, okay, would you rather have Amari Cooper, a third round pick and a fifth round pick, or would you rather have Antonio Brown and a first round pick? I would take Brown straight up over Cooper, even despite the age difference. And of course, a first round pick better than a third and a fifth. So if you view view those two moves in concert, it makes sense to a certain degree, even though that's, again, you have to do a little bit of mental gymnastics to be able to combine the two together. But the Khalil Mack trade, yeah, they'll, they'll never be able to live that down, especially for the fact that for absolutely no reason at all, 
they sent back a second round pick to Chicago for, again for Gosh. no reason at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's one thing he'll always have a, have trouble coming back from. Um, but we can at least say for sure that the Raiders will be more interesting and more fun to watch uh, here in 2019 than they were in 2018. Definitely. Uh, Matt, let's end on this. We were talking about Odell and the Odell trade, and then you made the point, you know, we're talking about New York, and, and you said he's basically one of the biggest uh, most famous people in the NFL right now, which I agree. Uh, you were saying if you showed, you know, if you ask kids, they know Baker Mayfield, probably not. One of my favorite uh, topics of debate whenever we talk about the big leagues right now and when we talk about which guys represent the league is kind of who is the face, right? And uh, usually we're talking about it with baseball, which I think is a problem for MLB right now, which is like, who is the face of baseball? And big baseball fans say, well, the biggest problem is the best player, Mike Trout, is kind of an unknown. No one really knows who he is yeah. now. Is that on the Angels? Is that on Trout? Now, with the NBA, you have a few obvious guys. I mean, you know, it's LeBron, but then there's also everyone knows Durant, everyone knows Harden. How about with the NFL right now? Um, Obviously, Tom Brady, kind of the default, but not someone who is a friend of the league per se. I mean, it's almost like two separate questions. Who do you think the NFL likes having represent the league? My answer is probably J.J. Watt. But who do you think is the most well-known current NFL player kind of across America? Yeah, this is... A difficult question because I think if you were if you're saying the most well-known player, I think it is still Tom Brady. I think you know universally, if you had to bet on anybody, like you're showing a picture of a football player in a room, you have to you know you have to show them one guy that they know. I think you would take Tom Brady. Um, but as you mentioned, you know he's he's aging too. The, yeah. the league can't count on him representing them. You know, three to five years from now, right. and there is a quite also too. Football has two problems, you know. It's not, and I say problems with major quotes. <laughs> these are not problems that are going to derail the league. But in terms of marketing their players, it's two problems. One, every like, it's not even really a woke take anymore to say like the <laughs> fact that the players wear helmets; they're harder to recognize than basketball players. I mean, well, I, but but it is true, even though it's not a unique take anymore. Yeah, I, I I cover the NFL professionally. I've covered it for this will be my fifth year here in t- 2019. I went to the ESPYs and these guys are walking past me on the red carpet and I, I couldn't, half of them, I couldn't even recognize right. again. I, I know football backwards and forwards, but it's just a different marketability, marketability sense like that. Also the second problem is football culture is just so much about team, 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 and not the individual. And so especially that makes the players rather transient. I mean, you could hope that a player like Todd Gurley, you know, one of the best running backs in the NFL or a running back like Saquon Barkley uh, becomes the face of the league. But those positions are so transient um, that running back dies out quickly. Um, even Gurley right now, there are reports he has arthritis in one of his knees. And, you know, he's 24 years old or something like that. So that position dies up quickly. I think what the NFL has to hope for is that Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, these guys step up. Uh, Cam Newton to a certain degree, although he's nearing 30 at this point. But these these quarterbacks that are under 30 that have a lot of personality. Um, I, Deshaun Watson doesn't have a lot of personality. I take that back. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> correct. <laughs> but he has great, he has a great playing personality that's yeah. enthralling and exciting. Um, these guys who are the most exciting, dynamic young quarterbacks, we have to hope that they take that next step because quarterback is a position that when you get that right, the guy never leaves, you know, yep. they're, they're there for 12, 13, 15 years. And so for, for the NFL to have its next face, I have, think it has to be somebody like Patrick Mahomes is coming off a year where 
I mean, he honestly looked like quarterback God out there with, with what he was able to do in his first season as a starter. That's uh, that's really what we have to hope for in terms of marketability. Yeah, and I also think that even though it, the conversation usually ends up being about a quarterback or a wide receiver, I, I like the idea of a defensive player kind of becoming more well-known, and that's got to be Aaron Donald. I mean, I think that he does have the potential to become one of the better-known, even beyond the NFL, recognizable guys in the league, uh, both in terms of talent and then um, his personality. It, it has to be. It's it's on the players too, and I, I've I've talked to a few players like like about this as well because I, I I find it to be an interesting subject in terms of marketing yourself. You know who? Right. It's so much more on the players than it is on the league because again the league again is will always focus on teams, organizations, mm-hmm. even on the field, the shield. The brothers, all that all that stuff. Yeah, the shield, and then yeah, from the league as a whole, totally. So. Guys like Donald and all that, they will have to market themselves. Where I think Von Miller has done a decent job of that as a as a defensive playmaker. Um, Kulo Mack is one of the best defenders in the NFL, but I don't necessarily think that he's a household name. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is going to be so much more on these younger guys who are good on social media. And I mean, that's that's the thing. I think part of me always believed this that this Antonio Brown thing was partly almost like I'm not going to like a publicity stunt in yeah. a way, like because it's a, it was a brand explosion. For him, not, not you, and people might not like him anymore because of the, some of the things he did. But I, I promise you, he does not care. Yeah, <laughs> because exactly. he's more famous now than he was five months ago, and he's much richer now than he was <laughs> five months ago. And and players have to think of it from that perspective. And I think these younger guys who are good on social media and good at at, at brand awareness, I think that's a, I think that's them. Dude, I'll never forget uh, a couple years back when the NFL's social media policy became a topic of interest because a lot of teams were complaining about the limit of how many posts they can do during the in-game window. I talked to someone who does social media for one of the teams, you know, who was kind of an anonymous source. uh, And that Mm -hmm. person was saying, the NFL wants people to be fans of the NFL more than one specific team. And I just thought, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, no one goes around and goes, well, I'm a big fan of the NFL. I mean, maybe maybe you would as someone who covers it, but it's yeah. like people identify with their team. <laughs> right, right. Yep, and and that's that's the uh, the ultimate phenomenon. You see it this time of year especially. I mean, I don't think many Giants fans are at this point right now, but, I mean, going back to the Raiders and the Mari Cooper. Well, I mean, no, no, no. We won't even need to go back that far. <laughs> I am telling you that I've had Pittsburgh Steelers fans in my Twitter mentions uh. when I'm talking about how great Antonio Brown is. <laughs> well, don't forget that he's playing with the Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, again, <laughs> fans will go through the mental gymnastics right. of before, before when the player's on their team, you're never giving that player enough respect. When they get booted off the team, now they are, well, they were always overrated. My, right. my good friend, Chris Wessling, who still works for the NFL network. That's like his philosophy for, for managing fans is always remember that when they're on their team, they're underrated when <laughs> they've left their team. Well, they were always overrated. They were never totally good. They have to actually you. I love it. Uh, really good stuff, Matt, Matt Harmon of Yahoo sports writing about NFL and fantasy. We'll check back in with you soon. We got to have you back on man. Great chat. Oh, anytime. My pleasure. It was a great conversation again and really a fun time of year to have it. Yep, totally. Well, there will be more moves to come, and we'll keep monitoring all the NFL action. It is the offseason, so we don't necessarily want to talk about NFL every week, but this was a fun one. And remember that we come out every Thursday morning. This is Yahoo Finance Sportsbook. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on any platform. We hope you will. Thanks so much. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.